Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 25th of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Cabinet is to consider a new €1 billion Euro housing plan as it meets this morning. The Minister for Housing, Darrell O'Brien, will outline his plans to deliver more housing in the short term by using this money to reduce the cost of building as well as funding new cost rental properties by up to €150,000 per building and by expanding and increasing the grant scheme for renovating vacant properties. But despite its best laid plans, the government will once again come under fire over its record on housing when the doll resumes later. And once again, the doll will hear two private members' motions this week on housing. One will hope to reduce uh, the cost of rent. The second will hope to make mortgage repayments easier for homeowners. That uh, private members' motion is uh, to be debated today. It's tabled by Sinn Féin's Piers Doherty, who joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Piers Doherty, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. We all uh, have heard about the windfall tax uh, that the government is uh, delighted to have to decide what to do with uh, this year and indeed next year and over the coming years. And you're saying that the thing that they could do to help uh, mortgage holders is uh, to reintroduce interest relief on mortgages. Absolutely, Michael, and, and good morning to you and your, your listeners. Uh, it is absolutely crucial, uh, essential that the government reintroduce mortgage interest relief um, in a form that is targeted and tailored and time-bound. Uh, one of the biggest cost of living pressures that are bearing down on many, many families is the sudden and sharp increase that they've seen uh, in their mortgage interest repayments uh, since June of last year. And, and since June of last year, Michael, many mortgage holders have now received the sixth letter uh, telling them that their mortgage interest has gone up. It's gone up from 0%, which was the ECB rate. So the ECB rate has gone from 0% up to 3.5%. And what that means for a lot of families is that, you know, it's a, it's an extra four, five, or even €6,000 more that they're paying on their mortgage this year than mm. they would have been paying last year. And that's a, that's a, that's a cost for many families. That and you're not saying that all of that should be offset. You're saying a maximum of 1500 
Yeah, we look. We, we're very clear. You know, when when we look at inflation, and this is an issue as a result of inflation, which initially was drawn on, brought on by the war in Ukraine, but as a result of trying to tame inflation, what the ECB is doing is hiking up interest rates, trying to dissuade people from borrowing and spending in the economy. So that's the the rationale behind it. And, and we're saying, look, you can't protect everybody from from the impacts of of this, but what you can do is take the sharp edge off the shock. Uh, so it's about thirty percent of the in increased interest that you've been paying that the state would take that on up to a maximum of 1500 euros so the example i gave you for example many of the cases that are coming into us it's four and five thousand euro more that they're paying they'll still be paying a lot more than they were last year but it's actually stepping mm-hmm. in to, to take a bit of that uh, give them a bit of relief and we've you know there's different people that are impacting this here some people if they're on tracker rates they've seen their interest rates increase by three and a half percent because it's good that it tracks the european rate so therefore it's gone up three and a half percent last year. Um, if you're on variable rates, it may have gone up a little bit, but not as much as 3.5% because a lot of the main banks are absorbing some of these costs, although they're indicating now that they're starting to put them up. Um, if you're fixed, obviously you're okay until you come off your fixed. Uh, and then when you come off your fixed rate, you're you're going to be paying a higher rate. But the biggest uh, category that are really burdened by this year are the 115,000 uh, families who had their mortgages sold on to vulture funds. And these vultures have, uh, in the main, passed on these interest rates to the extent where some people now are paying 8% on their mortgage. Uh, and that's just that's just a crazy amount of money uh, that anybody is paying to, to have a secured uh, loan. Yeah, and nobody seems to want to take responsibility for this. Yeah, well, look, you know, in terms of the, 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 the sale to vultures, we were very clear in Sinn Féin, indeed, I had legislation uh, which would give effect to a rule that the central bank had itself, which was that the central bank had a rule for over two decades, was that you couldn't sell on your loan to a vulture without your own consent. Uh, we were going to give legislative effect to that, but Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael stopped that. They actually told these loan owners that there was no problem having their loan sold on to vultures, that the Minister for Finance himself said he would have no problem having his loan sold on to a vulture. And now we see the reality because many of these loans came from the likes of Permanent TSB. So if they weren't sold on, mm. in Perm- they would be paying 4%, roughly 4 4.5% interest rate. Uh, now, because they are sold on, they're, so, they're, they're, they're paying 8% and they can't fix because these vultures don't offer an option to fix your, your mortgage. So look, mm. what's the solution here now? The solution is to introduce mortgage interest relief. We had mortgage interest relief in this state right up until the end of 2021. It was in a different way, but it, mm. it, it was actually more generous than what I'm suggesting. Um, but it applied up to 2021 when interest rates were a lot, lot lower, when there wasn't a cost of living uh, crisis, uh, when the ECB weren't ramping up pressure. And as bad as things are for families out there, the ECB are going to meet next Thursday again. And all the expectations are that interest rates are going to er- mm. uh, increase again uh, next And that, that, that would help. It would help up to 1,500 euro a, a year as you're proposing uh, for those who find themselves in that position but uh, with the vulture funds it seems like a a non-fair position to be in in the first place is there something that can be done for people rather than helping them because they're in an unfair position Uh, people will remember Jimmy Crosby from RD telling us about how his loan was sold from permanent TSB to Pepper Finance and he'd be one of the 150,000 people who are in the situation that you're talking about now this is like a lot of the people that you're talking about, I'm sure somebody who was able to manage their repayments, but because the interest rates have gone up to the degree that they have and out of kilter with the way rates are going up elsewhere, he could find himself in trouble. 
Yeah, and many people, unfortunately, are going to find themselves in trouble as a result of these interest rates. And that's not just us, us that are saying that, but the likes of uh, MABS, the Money Advice uh, Budgeting Service, have said that very clearly. And others on the front line, they recognise that we're in a, an era of arrears now. Look, if you're paying 8%, if you went to the credit union in the morning and took out an unsecured loan, uh, you know, to go on a holiday or whatever, it's it's likely to be 8%. To be paying 8% on a secured loan where your house is secured is a huge amount of money. And for people, that's going to go up next week um, because the ECB are going to continue to raise these interest rates. What can be done? Well, the government has a responsibility. We've discussed this with the governors of the central bank, uh, the deputy governors, and look, they acknowledge that the the government have a role in relation to this year, that the government can can step in. But they don't recognise their own role as a regulator, do they? No, they won't. They will not intervene. And that's, that's frustrating. And it's more frustrating for... Uh, for 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 those borrowers uh, who had their loans sold on, and remember, the government, the central bank, all of them gave assurances. You know, no difference. You had same protections. All of that kind of malarkey that was being talked about at the time. The reality was, and I made it very crystal clear: your your long term loan securing your house should never be in the hands of a vulture fund because a vulture fund has no interest in your deposits, has no interest in your children's bank account, has no interest in your loan for a car or for a holiday, has no interest in your long-term viability. Uh, And therefore, there is a serious risk that interest rates could rise. We pointed this out. The government ignored us. The central bank washed their hands of it. And now the central bank are saying very clearly that they will not intervene to actually uh, limit interest rates that can be applied by vultures. So what we need to do is, you know, what you what you can do is you can the government needs to step in in terms of their responsibility by introducing mortgage interest relief. But yes, the government also needs to make sure that they're putting ample pressure on these funds to offer, for example, a fixed rate. So many of these customers who are on, you know, eight percent and they're staring down, looking at the ECB's decision, which might put it up to eight and a half percent. They want to fix. You know, if they were with Permanent TSB or AIB or Bank of Ireland, they would have an option to go and fix their loan for the next two or three years or indeed longer if they wanted and probably fix it at a rate about, you know, 4% or indeed even less. Um, and that, that option isn't there for them. And these are people who, you know, in, in some cases didn't do anything wrong. Like it, with Permanent TSB, and you mentioned one of your, uh, your callers mm-hmm. before, Permanent TSB, people went into an arrangement with Permanent TSB. They didn't miss a payment. They went into an arrangement because they seen during the financial crisis that things were getting difficult. And Permanent TSB offered a split mortgage for tens of thousands of people. Uh, those split mortgages, the criteria was always adhered to for the vast majority of people. But as a result of the fact, the way the Permanent TSB did it, they decided then to sell all of those loans onto vulture funds. So these are people, you know, sometimes when people are listening to that, they think that these are people who haven't paid their debts or, you know, something. That is not the case uh, in, a, in a large number of these cases. These are people who paid every single penny that the bank owed them, never missed a payment, and now find themselves in the, in the hands of vultures and paying 8% and going to increase in the next number of weeks and it is absolutely ridiculous and it doesn't matter for those families that told me it doesn't matter whether it's you know whether it's your rent or whether it's your electricity bill or your gas bill a bill is a bill and if they've got 5,000 euro more that they have to pay this year compared to last year and the government are saying we're giving you no support for that then that's that's not uh, you know that can't last uh, and the resources are there, Michael. That we, as we know, that there is a there, that there is a, a ten billion euro surplus going to be projected this year. 
this measure that we're talking about between now and the end of the year would cost in the region of an upper limit of 400 million euro. It's likely not to cost that much, mm. but we've 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 calculated this with the budget office based on certain assumptions that interest rates will continue to rise quite significantly over the next uh, number of months. That's probably unlikely to materialise, but it's crucial that government step in and provide the support. Okay, that's support for existing house owners and uh, the government undoubtedly will consider that whether they accept your proposal or not is another day's work. Uh, As we've been hearing this morning, it has its own set of new plans and uh, there'll be two motions debated on housing this week in the Dáil as was the case last week. One of uh, the big topics of discussion was the billion euro that went unspent. Uh, It seems now the government is going to move to spend that money on housing, hoping to deliver housing for people in the short term. Uh, A lot of it, though, going to developers uh, to build houses or or, uh, to people to renovate vacant homes. And look, this is at the core of the problem here. And this is why we are in the situation we are where house prices have never been higher, rents have never been higher, and the number of families that are homeless has never been higher. And, you know, if you wanted an example of how bad the government are getting this or how how, how they're getting this so wrong, it's the fact that over the last three years they've failed to spend a billion euro, not on housing, but on social and affordable housing. So in, instead of actually delivering on their targets and they've missed their targets in that category for every year over the last three years, what they've now done is they're scrambling at the last minute because they're under pressure and they've got money that they haven't spent and they've decided to give it to the private sector with no guarantee that prices will come down as a result of it. And, and that's the fundamental problem with this government. It's Fine Gael, who's been in government for 12 years, you know, well now in government for three years, but supporting this government four years previous to that. And they are continually over-focused on the private sector to deliver the solutions for people. And as a result of that, you know, you know, we have we have the evidence to see. We have a whole generation locked out. We have young people who are emigrating because they think they're not going to get a start in life here. We and we have the the, the, the social catastrophe of three and a half thousand people, mm. uh, three and a half thousand children being brought up in emergency accommodation, like and. That, uh, like, I'm a mm. father. But is this not a solution? Life. I mean, is this not a, a way of spending your way out of, of uh, that problem? And if you're, you're flush and the government is very, very flush, uh, why not uh, give developers €150,000 per building if it results in between four and 6,000 apartments? What this is only, this is only happening because the government are failing to build social and affordable houses. When you build social and affordable houses, when the government builds those houses, you guarantee that you have what are social houses that people can afford, you know, in terms of paying their rent, in terms of social housing, or affordable housing. In terms of the measures that the government are coming up with, and we haven't seen the detail yet, but again, it is a reliance on the private sector to step up and to deliver what are affordable housing. There is no guarantee that that is going to happen, and that is the problem. And for 12 years, we've been hearing about this year. Every year, we hear the same mantra about, oh, there's loads of money and all of this, and, you know, that, that's not an issue. But every year, the, the situation is getting worse. Prices continue to rise. Rents are soaring. Homelessness is out of control. And, and there's a hopelessness within a whole generation of young people. This can be turned around. The solutions are there. We've put the solutions on the table time and time again. The government's ambitions in terms of social affordable and cost rental homes are minuscule in terms of what is needed. We have made it clear that we need to be targeting 20,000 social affordable and cost rental homes 
per year. The government have targeted 8,000 and have failed even to meet that target. That's the core issue. In terms of all of the other issues, it's tinkering around the edges. We need a significant amount of capital investment in terms of public, social and cost rental and affordable homes. Any other measure that will reduce the price of housing, that's something that we will welcome. Absolutely. And we'll study the detail when it's announced uh, later on. But there, the, the you know, the, 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 the proof is there over 12 years of the Nagalian government, over seven years of Fianna Fáil supporting or being in this government, is they are failing, absolutely failing abysmally. And now they're scrambling around to actually look at saying, well, we underspent this money. Where do we, where, what do we do? And instead of pumping it into social affordable cost rental, they're putting a bet again that the private sector, when they get this money, when the developers get it, that they might, they might pass it on. To, to, to buy uh, to home buyers and that's a, that, 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 that hasn't worked mm. for us over the last 12 years okay. and there's no evidence to suggest it's going to work now Alright, we'll leave it there Thank you very much indeed uh, for taking the time to be with us on uh, the programme uh, today Piers Doherty is Sinn Féin's uh, Deputy Leader in the Dáil and his party spokesperson on finance Michael Reed on LMFM Now we've been hearing for some time uh, the phrase heat or eat Uh, And the choice uh, that people have uh, between eating or heating their homes, as uh, the case may be, it's not an enviable choice at all. But uh, the CSO reported yesterday that about 23% of people who are over the age of 16 who have uh, a health problem, uh, people who are severely limited in usual activities because uh, they have a health problem, they're unable to keep their homes warm. They can't afford to. That's 23%. That figure of 23% uh, compares to 5% of uh, the rest of uh, the population. That's according to the CSO's survey on income and living conditions. Let's speak uh, to Tricia Kylty, who's Head of Social Justice and Policy with uh, the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. And a very good morning to you, Tricia, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Probably little surprise in these statistics for you because you're working on the front line all of uh, the time. Uh, but that doesn't make it right, does it? Good morning, Michael. No, these are very, very stark figures, but they're not surprising uh, to us, unfortunately, because we know from our working communities that people with poor health are more likely to experience poverty and the fact that poverty can make health issues worse. It's a very vicious cycle for a lot of people um, because if you can't afford to adequately heat your home, if you can't afford nutritious food, that's going to have a knock-on impact on your health as well. Um, And we know, you know, it's not just people directly impacted by health Mm. problems, it's also parents caring for children maybe with additional needs or health issues as well, we would see a lot. Um, And that obviously has an impact on parents' ability to make ends meet as well if they have extra costs associated with those health issues. Why why is it though the case? Is it that you just have to expect that uh, when you or a member of your family falls ill or is it that we're not giving uh, the support, the appropriate support to people who are sick? Yeah, that's right. I suppose obviously there is um, payments, extra payments there in relation to illness benefit or um, disability payments and things like that. But really they don't go far enough in addressing the extra costs that people have if they do have health issues or health needs. 
um, and we would see that a lot whether it's you know simple things like transport to a, um, appointments that you may need to go to um, extra medication and things like that and obviously the medical card does help a lot of families um, but really those costs are very high and people's incomes are too low and if you can't work because you have an illness or a disability obviously that's going to impact um, on your ability to pay the bills and put food on the table. Or if somebody in the house can't it'll impact on the whole household which is why this survey uh, says that there's nearly 30%, uh, 27.4% the figure at risk of poverty. That's right and I suppose what's really concerning obviously we for years now we'd see the link between health issues and uh, people's um, poverty risk but what's really concerning is that rate of increase last year so in 2021 33% of people with health problems were experiencing deprivation so that means that they were going without the essentials that we take for granted and that increased to 43% in 2022. So that's a 10 percentage points yeah. increase. That's incredible, 43%. It's, it's almost half of people with, with health issues um, are going without essentials. So really, we've seen obviously the, the um, impact of the energy crisis. People who have health issues are going to need more heating. Um, they're going to be home for longer periods of time and they're more likely to feel um, the cold depending on what health condition they have. So we also see that a huge proportion of people are gone into arrears on their utility bills. So about mm. a fifth of people with um, a household member that has at least one um, uh, health issue. And that compares to 7, 7% of all, all households. And you'd be so able to afford your heat better if it wasn't as expensive as it is. Uh, forgive me for stating the obvious, but the Irish Independent reporting today uh, that we have the highest prices in Europe for electricity. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, obviously now the, the prices we hope will start to drop. We are seeing a drop in wholesale gas prices and we need suppliers to pass on those uh, drops in prices to customers as soon as possible. But we also need to ensure that the right income supports are there for people and um, that we have extra payments that support cost of disability and that the social welfare rates are adequate for people, that they can make ends meet because it's just simply not right that people, anybody, um, can't afford the basics, but especially people who are suffering with health issues because, mm. as I said, you know, that's a vicious cycle. Um, the health issues get worse if people aren't able to have adequate heating, if they're in damp homes, if they have mould or if they're not being able to afford nutritious food mm. as well. Okay, and they're fundamentals. Uh, they really are. Uh, and uh, there's other issues then. Uh, like buying new clothes, uh, a quarter of people not able to do that, uh, and a fifth of people uh, can't afford to meet up with family or friends. Uh, that's a, a very important thing for us all to be able to do in our lives. Uh, uh, and I suppose it, it does cost money to some extent, no matter what you do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it is that social connection is so important. Um, and so many people that SCP support, you know, tell us how lonely they are because being in poverty is incredibly lonely for a lot of people, whether you're parenting alone or whether you have um, a disability or whether you have health issues. You know, the 
the ability to get out and see people has huge benefits for your mental health. But if you can't afford to put some petrol in the car or you can't afford the bus fare or even you just can't afford a cup of coffee or something if you want to go out and meet friends, um, that's a huge barrier. Um, and it's really, you know, it's broader than just the, the basics. It is about that social connection and wider um, social inclusion issues as well. well. It comes back to the basics, of course, uh, because uh, if you've an unpaid electricity bill or something else uh, that hasn't been paid, uh, you're going to think twice before you spend even a small amount of money. Absolutely. You know, people, we see people prioritising their, their bills all the time. You know, usually the rent is the first thing that gets paid. Then, you know, people will look at their bills, if they can pay them. And, and what we see is that food is the area that people have some discretion over and that's what gets cut first when a big bill comes through the door and you know we'd see parents going without food or um, you know at people skipping meals and things like that all the time um, and I suppose in the context of rising food bills as well that's, that's all the more prevalent at the moment um, but really you know I suppose what we will be saying to people you know if you are struggling there is help out there um, if you have a bill that you're, you don't think you're going to be able to afford it's really important mm-hmm. that you engage with your um, supplier, ring up your utility company. There is support in place there. You can also obviously contact SVP. We're here to help people. Um, The only criteria for help is need. Um, We know it's not easy to pick up the phone, but we are here. Um, And other organisations like the Money Advice and Budgeting Service are there as well to help people. Okay, very good. We have to leave it there for the moment, but thank you, Tricia, as always, for joining us on the programme today. Tricia Coelty is the Head of Social Justice and Policy with the Society of St. Vincent de Paul already a number of people in touch with us uh, this morning uh, great to be getting calls and text messages so early into the programme uh, and a number of people in touch with us uh, about housing and mortgage interest relief and this billion euro that uh, the government is about uh, to spend uh, a couple of similar comments one from somebody who says I'm 57 I've paid my mortgage in full. No government handouts. What am I going to get out of all of this money uh, if they use it to help people pay their mortgages? Uh, as I say, there's a, a similar comment uh, from someone who says, would you ask Pierce Doherty uh, about the tracker rates? Because they've been historically low uh, and uh, that costs the bank's money. That cost to the bank was offset by the variable rate hooters, including our caller, I take it. So why should I have to pay tax again to bail out those who are on the tracker rates now that their rates are increasing? Thank you, as I say. Uh, if you've been in touch, some more comments. Michael, time to vote Mary Lou in, says somebody. People are sick of the government. Anyone that got in trouble with their mortgage was due to the 2009 recession when people lost their jobs and they've been hung out to dry. The vulture funds are crippling them. Time to vote Mary Lou and Pierce Doherty in the current government is failing its people. Betty Daly says, good morning, Michael. What about the TDs buying houses for €140,000? I'm sure there's plenty of people who'd love to get the chance of a bargain like that. Indeed, or the TD's wife, uh, Betty, as uh, the case may be. We'll hear more, I'm sure, uh, from Niall Collins later in the day. Uh, We'd uh, another uh, text uh, WhatsApp message uh, from Marion in Nace, who says Sinn Féin voted in favour of the bank guarantee 
GMT and uh, they go along with government on a lot of issues uh, that are crippling the economy such as green policies so Marion says they're not a real alternative thank you for that uh, Deirdre says it's not right that everything is ex- expensive as it is now something needs to be done urgently to bring prices down thank you if you have been in touch if not you can make a comment on the programme now by ringing 0419832000 text or whatsapp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm Michael Reed on LMFM. Rank and file members of Vanguard Econ meet in Westport uh, this week for the 45th annual delegate conference of uh, the Garda Representative Association. Brendan O'Connor, GRA president, is on the line. Good morning, Brendan, and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, is uh, to address your members uh, this morning. What are you hoping to hear from the Commissioner? Well, we're hoping to hear some commitments that he will have a plan or some vision of how we're going to address the fundamental issue which is falling guard numbers which is really exacerbating all the problems that we are experiencing for our members and the pressure they're under in relation to assaults on them and um, the, so we just want some sort of reassurance that, mm. that, that, that the things that are pushing our members to the breaking point that is the theme of our conference will be addressed And so that's something more than the current recruitment campaign that's underway Yes, we need to see uh, we need well. We need to see that recruitment. We need to see something that incentivizes people to stay in the organisation. We're hemorrhaging people through uh, resignations and retirement. So we believe that there's a crisis. So we're also looking for an acknowledgement of the commission to the extent of problems because one of the big issues we have is with morale, and one of the issues that's feeding into that matter is what our members receive is a disconnect between the senior leadership team and the people on the front line. So we want to see some reassurance and some communication that. He at least understands that our, uh, the problems our members have and he acknowledges that he has a role in addressing them and that he will engage with us going forward because the levels of engagement haven't been as meaningful as we would like. Uh, do you believe that there's a communication problem between frontline guardie and the commissioner? Um, well, I think the commissioner is relying on the team around him to, to communicate him. I mean, he has a, he has a, a big, huge portfolio and a lot of responsibility. So I'm not sure the message is getting through to him through the various channels of communication that are open. But I think he needs to take ownership and, and make sure he does get that message and he works with the association. Because sometimes the perception would be of the association that we're negative and we're critical of everything. But actually, the members we represent want to deliver better policing. They want to be more visible in communities. And we believe we have the solutions to the problems because we know more about policing than anyone else particularly the oversight bodies like the police authority and the guard inspectors. We welcome their input and we read their reports with interest. Most of them, in fairness, just gather dust, but there's nothing they can say that the judiciary haven't said previously, but, of course, our voice is drowned out for some reason. All right, uh, and you talked about people leaving the force. Uh, your own survey, which was conducted uh, by uh, your deputy guard, Tara McManus, uh, who served a long time in, in this part of the world, has found that more people ha- have resigned rather than retired, and that's why the uh, size of the force is depleting. Yes, well, um, resignations used to be a relatively rare phenomenon in the Irish economy. It was a job for life, it was... Uh, you were never going to be rich, you were never going to be poor, but you had a good pension, it was an enjoyable career, it was rewarding, it was satisfying, you felt you were making a difference. But the the, the outflow of people uh, at, a, at a junior level, that's people way before retirement, and they're telling us now that it's not a satisfying place to work, 
they don't like the organisation, they don't feel valued, they don't feel the support is there. So again, that's something that the Commissioner and his team are going to have to address. Okay, but some very serious complaints uh, from those Gardaí who retired, bullying, work-related stress, unfair treatment or discipline from management. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, those issues are, are very uh, pertinent to those members and, and it's unfortunate to see that bullying is, such a, uh, is figuring so highly in the interviews. So we need to look at where that level is coming from and also uh, very critical of, of managers locally. So we've had people that have asked for help. And one of the issues that has also come to the fore in this conference is people that are completely overwhelmed with their workload. And we had young junior guards going to supervisors and managers saying, I'm struggling, I need help with my files. And they're told, oh, it's a time man- it's your own time management issue. And also in relation to discipline, we have a serious grievance because we believe the, the, the organisation, instead of addressing problems and acknowledging systematic failures, what they will do is they'll hold the individual guard to account. If a young guard on a very busy unit in Drogheda or Dundalk, overwhelmed with their work, struggling with it, and instead of the, the organisation acknowledging that they're overworked and they don't have the, the training or, or the time to address it, will use discipline and, and put individual responsibility on, on a member when really it's a collective organisation that's failing. That seems very unfair. Yeah, it is very unfair. It's a very draconian system and it was a, a discipline rank structure, but you know, the, the protecting the corporate identity sometimes seems to come before the, the, the bit of humanity and a bit of compassion and the acknowledgement that there is problems. So we think it's a very unfair system. Mm. And it's, we've seen an increase in the use of discipline in recent years, so an over-reliance on it. And discipline should be about learning, whereas we see in a Gardaí economy, discipline is about punishment and uh, really uh, blaming an individual whenever there should be a system, a system failure identified. Mm. And, and I look back... Sorry, Brendan, there's no HR mechanism or industrial relations mechanism to deal with what I suppose you're talking about there is ultimately a a dispute where uh, the force is suggesting uh, that an officer is underperforming, uh, but you're saying that that officer hasn't been given the tools to do the job. Yes, absolutely. We've uh, we've identified so many times a serious lack of training, and we believe the cultural issue in the the organisation where they don't put an emphasis on training, that members need to be uh, trainers. People need to be trained to provide that professional police service. And if they're not trained properly, they're obviously the service available to the public is going to be jeopardised. And what we see now is an almost complete abandonment of classroom or scenario-based training for serving members. We have the Garda learning LMS, so it's, it's distance learning. So basically what they're doing is they're just putting videos up on an internal portal saying, watch the video, and there you've been trained. So the public have been told that every guard has been trained, let's say, in relation to domestic violence. Mm. They've watched they've watched a few videos online about domestic violence, but there's no substitute, we believe, for uh, classroom scenario-based learning where you have a discussion with colleagues and your and your teacher and tease complex issues. Yeah. Uh, a lot of uh, these issues seem to be reflected in the motions uh, that will be debated and voted on uh, at your conference uh, over the next couple of days. The theme of uh, the conference is breaking point. Uh, it doesn't send out a very positive message for anybody who's contemplating uh, becoming a member of Vanguard Shiakana. No, it doesn't. And unfortunately, we would like to have a, a more positive message and we'd like to be telling a good story. But as we would say to the Commissioner, we need to acknowledge the problem and deal with it and move on. There's no point in glossing over the situation. The situation is very poor, but it can be turned around. And that's why the Gather Representative Association, we want to be part of the solution and we want to fix things. But we, we have to have an input. And I guess 
meaningful engagement and I would say in recent years the level of engagement with the, with the rep bodies has diminished and I think as I said our voice has been lost so it's a bleak picture we paint but we believe it's accurate and we also have the data from our research both with the exit interviews and with public attitude service that we've done that our message is, is completely validated. Okay. Um, could I ask you about uh, the GSOC investigation? That's the investigation into GSOC, uh, which normally polices uh, the police, but on Garda Síochána is uh, to carry out this investigation into one of uh, the senior investigating officers at GSOC uh, attending a party with uh, Jerry de Moncoch. Uh, how do uh, rank-and-file members feel about taking on that role? Well, I suppose it, look, it wouldn't be for the individual members that are taking on the role to, to, to pass comments. We're a professional police service and we'll, we'll, we'll attend to whatever duties are allocated to us, people in the organisation. But certainly, um, we have concerns about GSOC. We always have done. We believe we believe in independent oversight. We completely embrace it and support it. But there has always been a lack of protocols for, uh, as we would say, where's the oversight of the overseers and we have had problems in the past on occasions with GSOC and it hasn't been clear what um, accountability frameworks exist for their people so again we see today or in recent times an incident occurs and people are scrambling Mm. to find a solution we don't believe that's satisfactory there should be a proper oversight mechanism in place but at the end of the day if there is and I'm not Mm. commenting on the facts of the case if there's a suggestion of a possibility of criminality it is entirely appropriate that the police service of the country would be utilised to investigate criminality. Is there a concern about personal security, though, for members of Angarda Siakana? If uh, data uh, or uh, personal details have uh, been given over to gangland individuals? Well, that's, that's, that's the, the primary concern of our members. I, just, I discussed those conceptual issues, but really the issue for our members and the media is that an individual who there's a question of or their integrity or their judgment would have had access to very high level and very personal information about our members. So we, that's, a, that's a, an aspect of the investigation that we want to be focusing on. What, uh, what protections are there for our members' data and find out was it compromised, both in relation to data and in relation to personal security. Okay, Brendan, thank you very much indeed. Okay, we'll hear more from your conference throughout the day. Thank you, as I said. All say. right, thank you. Take care. Bye, bye. Brendan O'Connor is uh, the president of uh, the GRA. That's uh, the Garda Representative Association. Just some comments before we go to headlines. Somebody saying, I can't believe what I just heard on the radio. People asking, what is it that they are getting out of mortgage tax relief? That's a relief for people who are less well off. Good for them uh, that they were in the position to pay off uh, their mortgages. Greed is what's wrong with society. Thanks, LMF for highlighting both sides says our caller and somebody else says is he for real? This is Brendan O'Connor of the GRA what does he expect? How can you respect Gardaí when you have a member of GSOC mixed up with criminals and uh, another heading off on holidays uh, thank you indeed uh, for your message to the programme if you've been in touch 0419832000 if you want to ring us text or whatsapp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to that story that you've been hearing about uh, more than 10,000 claims relating to accidents caused by uninsured and untraced motorists over the last five years. Do you know that you're paying somewhere between 150 and 175 euro too much for your insurance? That's if you're paying insurance because that money is used to cover those people who aren't paying insurance at all, which is leading to these claims. And there's significant numbers, as you've been hearing this morning, locally of people who are driving without insurance 
in accidents uh, and indeed end up claiming for that. In County Louth, 440 such claims over the last five years, 373 in County Mead. And we can speak to David Fitzgerald, who's uh, the Chief Executive of uh, the MIBI, the Motor Insurance Bureau of Ireland. A very good morning to you, David, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. The number of claims in County Louth in particular are some of uh, the highest per capita in the country. That's right, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Um, when we adjust for, for population in the latest census data, um, Loud are, are, are right up there with Dublin and Limerick as having the highest number of, of claims per capita. So it, it's uh, particularly appreciate the, the opportunity on your show today to to get the word out um, with, with with those levels of uh, uninsured driving so high in Ireland at, at uh, one in 12 cars, one in 12 private cars are driving out uninsured. And that's four times the EU EA average. So it's, it's, it's a big problem in this jurisdiction. Okay, where, where do you get that figure from? How do you know so many people are driving uninsured? So what we've done is we've we, we got the, the details of all the, the taxed motor vehicles from the Department of Transport. And we, we have a, we've built a, an insurance database called the Irish Motor Insurance Database that contains the insurance details of all vehicles. And we've clashed those against each other. And we were able to establish that 8.3% private motor vehicles are, are, are uninsured and then when we were able to c- compare that to um, EU data that we were able to get from, from, from Brussels to yeah. how, how we found out we're, you know, we're, 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 we're so high. Um, it's, it's one of the reasons why we're calling on to the urgent enactment of the Road Traffic and Roads Bill because what we want to do is give this Irish Motor Insurance database to the Gardaí. We need a safe legal basis to do so. That's contained in the Road Traffic and Roads Bill which has been slowly making its way through the Oireachtas, but will, will, will hopefully be passed this, this quarter. And then we'll, be, we'll have a safe legal basis to pass that data to the Gardaí. They've got technology in their in their Garda cars and mobile phones that will be able to automatically read the number plates and quickly tell if somebody is uninsured. And we feel that would be a real game changer in enforcement because um, you know, when people are paying that 150, 175 euros over, over the last five years, it's just way too high. Okay. Uh, as things stand, are you able to identify the uninsured cars and their owners? We, 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 can, we can derive, a, 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 that's right, a, a hot list of, of, of uninsured um, drivers for the, for the Gardaí, but we, we, we need a safe legal basis under data protection regulations to pass that to them. So that, that, that's set out in that road track. So the information yeah. is there, just can't be used because of data protection rules? It, it, resolved by that bill so it, it really you know it's, it's you know any of the, the, the listeners want to contact their uh, their local representatives it would be it would be greatly appreciated mm. to encourage them to pass that bill it's 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 true the doyle stage and now it's in the it's in the shannon and we need to get that passed and enacted so we can get that to the guardian well i think most people would agree that it's hugely irresponsible to drive without insurance um, but uh, if there is a minority of people who don't uh, agree with that, if they're found to be driving without insurance, what is the consequence? The, the penalties are, are, are high. So the, the vehicle will be seized at the side of the road. It's five penalty points, an automatic court appearance, and a fine of up to €5,000 and or six months in prison. So it's, it, it, it's pretty serious if you're caught. Mm. I take it uh, people believe the gamble is worth it. You know, hopefully now, if your listeners are, you know, hearing about that AMPR data, uh, you know, on, on the way, people maybe will think twice. And, you know, as, as, the, as the enforcement improves with the, with the new technology, 
we're hopeful that will change people's hearts and minds and uh, you know stop people being so so irresponsible I mean it's you know it's a crime to drive without valid motor insurance and you know people can't pick and choose the laws they follow but, but you know it, it's important I suppose that we give the, the, the guardian the tools to assist them because it's it's, it's a real scourge you know if, if we're all paying 150 175 euros over the last five years it's mm. um, just way too high at a little cost of living. Are, are, are those sanctions high enough? Uh, I mean, I take it people could be driving without insurance for years in, in some circumstances, uh, but uh, whatever about the fines or the threat of a, a prison sentence, uh, five penalty points doesn't put somebody off the road after being so irresponsible and having lack of uh, a lack of respect for other uh, road users. I, I know, uh, and I've seen in the press, you know, some, some judges are starting to take it very seriously and, you know, are, are starting to ban people. You know, so I, I've I've seen some some judges talk about that in in, in press reports. They're starting to get more and more alarmed about these figures. Um, so I, I suppose th- these matters are at the discretion of the judiciary. You, you know, they they do jail repeat offenders. You know, we 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 track the press reports on us. So um, you know, we, we have seen quite a few people jailed you know, over the course of the year. So I suppose it's the the judiciary have the powers, but it's up to them, you know, to I suppose to 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 enforce it after the the, the guardian identified people driving uninsured. And there's something ironic about the whole thing, is there not? And that I assume that the reason people don't insure their vehicles is because it's so expensive to do that. But part of the expense is the amount of people who aren't insuring their vehicles, because those who end up taking out insurance have to cover that cost. You're quite right. So if we can get more people buying insurance, it's a virtuous circle because, you know, if you know, this is 35 euros in, in everybody's policy, you know, every year, we start to reduce that. I mean, we're fully funded by the, you know, the motor insurance industry. So it's a direct cost that goes into the premium. So, if you know, whatever we can do to reduce level of uninsured driving should should help. Absolutely. Mm. And we're talking about um, 10,000 incidents uh, where you describe uh, the drivers as uninsured uh, and untraceable. Uh, so what were these hit and runs? That's right. The untraceable are, are, are hit and runs, exactly. So it, it's probably an uninsured vehicle, but we, we, we can't tell for sure because they, you know, they, they, they fled the scene. God. We're really talking the height of irresponsibility, aren't we? Absolutely, I mean, it, it takes a particularly callous, you know, individual to, to injure, you know, another party and and, and then drive away. It's, uh, mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, uh, apart uh, from the cost that uh, they've left somebody else with uh, in having to cover when you drive away from an accident, you don't know what else you're leaving behind uh, and uh, if somebody has been seriously injured or worse, as the case may be, and perhaps you could have uh, got medical assistance assistance for them. It really is a, a dreadful thing. Uh, but if uh, somebody is hit by an uninsured driver, the hit and run, that sort of thing, then they come uh, to yourselves uh, with a, a claim uh, if there's nowhere else to go. Is that that, that, that is exactly so if, if you have comprehensive insurance the best thing in the first instance is, is to contact your own insurer because we have an agreement with them that they'll repair your vehicle without affecting your no claims bonus and then if you if you had an injury they, they'll connect you with, with ourselves and if Hey it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out Quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos Wear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You, if you have third-party insurance, uh, you, you can contact us directly and uh, via our website, mibi.ie. We have an online claims form that you know people can pop their details in there and we can, we'll be able to help them. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there for the moment, David. It's uh, shocking stuff, I have to say. I don't know if uh, uh, I've been living under um, something, uh, but I, I have to say I'm very taken aback by those figures. Thank you indeed for joining us, though, today. Thanks, Mike. David, David Fitzgerald, Chief Executive of uh, the Motors Insurance Bureau of Ireland. Let me bring you some more comments. Our phones are busy today, which is just fantastic. Thanks if you have been in touch. Margaret in touch. I'm not sure I enjoyed reading your message, Margaret, but I really do appreciate you sharing how you're feeling with us. She says, Michael, there's only four words for it. This country is gone to the dogs. It's one thing to have a house, but it's harrowing listening to those who are suffering so much, having nowhere to live. Equally seeing people with disabilities having to protest for a PA. It's becoming unbearable. Maybe a change of government might help. Couldn't get any worse? Question mark. What are they doing with taxpayers' money? Any good news, Michael, uh, says Margaret. Uh, well, I think it stopped raining this morning, Margaret, if that's any use to you, uh, after uh, all the wet weather that we've been having. Um, we've uh, another text uh, from somebody who says, I'm fed up listening to people crying that they can't pay for this and that. We are pensioners. We have a, an old house, no bear rating to talk of, yet we can cope paying for everything. We don't go out to the pubs or the restaurants. We are happy for what we have. Enough said. Thank you indeed uh, for sharing that uh, with us too. Um, another uh, WhatsApp message from somebody who says the Gardaí need to up their game when it comes to uninsured vehicles and drivers. I've yet uh, to be asked for proof that my car is insured or I'm insured to drive it. A disc in the window doesn't say which drivers are covered. Insurance could be cancelled and the disc not returned. The system the Gardaí use is not fit for purpose. Hmm. <laughs> 
I don't know. Um, I suppose uh, if you think about these things long enough, you come up uh, with uh, plots like that. Uh, but hard to believe that that's what people are doing. Uh, as I say, I'm probably very innocent when it comes to this, but the idea that you'd cancel your insurance and keep the disc on it, uh, well, obviously that's part of the problem and why uh, the MIBI are asking uh, that the Gardaí would be able to use this new technology from your number plate uh, to uh, check that you are actually insured regardless of your disc. Very, very interesting. Thank you indeed if you have been in touch. Uh, as I say, our telephone number is 0419832000. That's if you want to ring us today. Uh, we'll take your call, we'll talk to you and then we'll get your comment on the radio. That's 0419832000. If you want to send us a text message, you can SMS or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, the High Court uh, delivered a judgment uh, against the government on Friday, just gone, because the government and the minister who has responsibility uh, has failed to provide material reception conditions to an Afghan asylum seeker. Uh, as I say, the High Court uh, declared it unlawful. Uh, let's uh, speak uh, to John Lannan, who's uh, the Chief Executive Officer with Duras. Duras works with many people uh, who are coming to this country on an ongoing basis. And John, a very good morning to you, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the, the programme this morning. Uh, there's something like 500 people seeking international protection in this country who have nowhere to go whatsoever. They're sleeping on the streets and you're condemning the government's failure in this respect as cruel, immoral and unacceptable, as you say in your statement. Uh, that's a pretty strong statement, it has to be said. Um, indeed, and good morning. We've um, seen people being made street homeless as they've come into the country seeking international protection now since January and numbers were increasing over the course of 2022. We had a um, situation since last September when people were required to live in tents um, through a cold, damp, difficult winter. We'd had the minister saying in December that that was unacceptable. We'd hoped that we would come out of that cycle and that we would have the basic needs of people being met. But sadly, the situation has got worse. And and what's most um, worrying about this is that we don't see a plan for how this is going to be addressed by the government. OK, we've been hearing, uh, uh, I suppose, some complaints uh, over a uh, long period since the 24th of February, wasn't it, when the uh, Russians invaded Ukraine and uh, we saw so many people coming uh, to this country. Uh, but we've heard that there's a, a, a obligations on the government to provide people seeking international protection with accommodation, uh, the Geneva Convention, the Refugee Convention, but the High Court uh, spelled out some other international obligations uh, that the state has in respect of this. Um, they did, yes. Um, there's a thing called the Reception Conditions Directive, and this has been um, brought into law here in Ireland, but it's coming from the, the European Con- Union. It's a set of regulations that outline how the government should meet the basic needs of international protection applicants. In other words, the asylum seekers who are coming from situations of war or persecution or who need to find sanctuary or protection for, for any, any reason. And we, we've seen over the history of direct 
provision that there have been problems with the standards of accommodation, the um, care that needs to be taken to ensure the welfare of families and of children in particular in direct provision centres. We had hoped that when the government um, released its white paper in 2021 talking about ending direct provision by the end of 2024 that we were in the right direction going in the right direction here but sadly it, it has plummeted things have plummeted and they're at a, a point now where um, the conditions facing international protection applicants here in Ireland has never been worse Right um, and they're very basic obligations shelter, food and hygiene uh, put a roof over somebody's head um, make sure that it's clean and that they've uh, a bed to sleep in and some food in their bellies uh, but we're failing to do that with some 500 people who've come to this country seeking international protection and are street sleepers now uh, if we go back to the case on Friday, uh, there was a question over this young man's age. Uh, he told the authorities he was 17, but he was treated as an 18-year-old. Is that the case? It's indeed. And, and this is, um, highlights a particularly worrying aspect of the situation because um, many of the people who come here seeking international protection are are vulnerable. You know, they've experienced trauma, they've experienced displacement, they've left families behind. They may be quite young, as in the case of this young man. There may be pregnant women, there may be people with physical and mental health um, problems. And it's likely that none of this is, is, is caught or is recognised when the person arrives in the country seeking international protection because a proper vulnerability assessment has not been done. And as a result of that, then pe- the, the person is sent out onto the streets with a voucher and, and nothing else. And, and we must bear in mind now that we're talking about people who don't know um, anything about Ireland. They may not even speak the language. And, and they're utterly and completely lost on, on the streets and at mm. great risk out there as well. It's a very dangerous place. I can't say I'd uh, welcome the idea of doing it myself. Uh, and I think this young boy's experience uh, would tell us a little bit about how dangerous it can be. Uh, he was beaten up himself and robbed, wasn't he? Yes, and, and, and again, you know, this is, I suppose, um, sadly, n- not all that surprising and shouldn't be that surprising to the um, the government and the department that's forcing them to, to go out there on the streets. Um, there, there is no safety net whatsoever. You know, and a young man like him doesn't know anybody else on the streets. We, we've met people who have been searching, you know, for, for people that, of, of their own nationality, people who might be able to just explain where, where they can go to be able to get food, even where they can go to pick up their daily expense allowance. So mm. while the government does say that they can get that, we've seen people who have moved out of Dublin out of necessity who don't know where to go to be able to pick up that mm. um, small small bit of money that they get to try to keep them going during the week. And it's not enough. Mm. I mean, they've given they've increased it a little bit from the thirty eight euro, but it's by no means adequate for somebody who has no place to sleep and no food in their belly. Does age matter? Uh, this boy was a, a minor. He was 17 years of age. Uh, he told the authorities here exactly that, but they didn't believe him uh, uh, until he produced his birth cert. And he is just a, a boy. He is just 17 years of age. Uh, he was uh, attacked 
attacked on the streets. A, a drunken man apparently threatened to kill him with a, a knife at one stage. Uh, uh, an overall frightening experience for this boy who had been on the streets since February, uh, as I understand it. Uh, but uh, would it have been different had he been 18 or older? Because uh, we have 500 people who are in that uh, situation exactly. I mean, I, I think the, the, the young man is um, vulnerable regardless of which side of 18 he is when he's um, left on the streets here. in. in oh, Ireland. and there's no doubt about that, John. I suppose I'm asking a legal question. I don't know if you can answer it, but because the High Court said that it was unlawful how this boy was treated, and I suppose I'm wondering, would it be unlawful uh, for the state to treat older people uh, who are not minors in the same way? It would appear so, yes. So it is the, the ruling would indicate that it is unlawful to treat any people in that way. There's a particular problem here in relation to the, the, the young man who, if he was under 18, was a minor and should have been treated as a minor and should have been taken into the care of the state as a minor rather than being treated as an adult and put out on the streets. Okay, so uh, the situation that 500 people find themselves in in this country on the streets is unlawful as well. Absolutely, and and we have the, the numbers are are growing and have been growing steadily since January. And even though some people who were initially made homeless have been granted with have been given um, basic accommodation, um, we're finding that. People still need to come here to Ireland to seek international protection. You know, we, we've 100 million people who have been forcibly displaced around the world. Now a small, small fraction of them are making it to Ireland. And we really need to do better than to leave them in really vulnerable situations where, where they're at risk on the streets. OK. Is it possible uh, to find somewhere at this stage? I mean, there doesn't seem to be a room available for love nor money at this stage. Now, indeed, there's plenty, I would say, that the state can still do. And, and there's no doubt that the Department of Children has done a huge amount of work in finding um, accommodation for over um, 50,000 um, beneficiaries of temporary protection from Ukraine who are currently in state-provided accommodation. There's also over 20,000 international protection applicants from other parts of the world. But the types of emergency accommodation that they're in are unsustainable. You know, there are temporary places, people live, living in tents, there, there are hotels being used, there are other unsuitable accommodations. But, you know, we, we have over 160,000 vacant units in the country. We've got buildings and we've got sites that can be identified by local authorities the length and breadth of the country that need to be brought into use. We need to get the modular um, bills that have been talked about for most of the last year up and, and people in those. And, and, and bear in mind here that when we talk about providing accommodation for people, you know, we're talking about providing accommodation for, for everybody. You know, we've mm. already got a housing crisis in the country that the government needs to address, but we need to ensure that we can um, keep everybody safe 
whether they were born in Ireland or have come here over the last couple of months to seek protection. Mm. Yeah, and that's it. Uh, and I suppose the government uh, does find accommodation for people. You'd often hear people saying, what about our own people? Um, uh, well, they're in hotels or B&Bs and that's emergency accommodation. They're not on the streets. Uh, there would ordinarily speaking be very few street sleepers in uh, this country. We now have 500 people who are seeking international protection in that situation. The 17-year-old boy that we're talking about uh, obviously had a life full of difficulties before coming here uh, and fleeing from Afghanistan after the Taliban had killed his father. We've a text message uh, that comes to us uh, about this from Tom uh, who asks... Uh, is it not time that uh, we stop letting people into the country until we sort out the ones that we have here already? He says it's time to talk about this without being labelled a racist. Uh, but I think the um, High Court probably answered to Tom's question, John, uh, on Friday, uh, because as I said earlier on, you've uh, the Geneva Convention, the Refugee Convention, uh, the High Court Judge Charles Meenan, uh, said that this was unlawful under the Reception Conditions Regulation uh, and uh, the Charter of Fundamental Rights of uh, the European Union. So uh, there's an obligation under many different international treaties for the government to provide shelter when people are in this situation and they come here seeking protection. Absolutely. I mean, the, the first obligation we have is under the International Protection Act which is linked to the um, the Refugee Convention, which states very clearly that any person who needs to seek international protection and who arrives here either lawfully or unlawfully has a right to do that. And we're not going to be able to stop the fact that there are 100 million people forcibly displaced in the world. Some of them are coming to Ireland to seek protection. And then we have obligations, as you say, under the um, the Reception Conditions Directive to provide for their basic needs. So look, I think, I mean, it is, it is fair to raise the question and to ask it, but we do have legal as well as moral obligations to ensure that the small numbers of people, and they are relatively small numbers who, who, who come to Ireland, are provided um, with that right um, to, to seek protection here and then are treated with um, dignity and with respect and are, are, are kept in a safe way when they, mm. when they do arrive here. Yeah, when you think of a, a child like that and all the things that that child has gone through, um, it really is heartbreaking. I, I think one of our callers probably sums it up very well, a text from somebody who says, it's very sad what is going on in this country. No person, be they Irish, Ukrainian or a migrant, uh, should uh, be left on the streets just to slip through the cracks. Devastating to see what they're going through. Uh, I yeah. think that probably sums it up because uh, there's not much hope for you when you're on the streets, John. No, no, indeed. And, and you know, I think the vast majority of people in, in Ireland are um, are of that mind as well and, and don't want to see anybody out on, on the streets and, and destitute and frightened and um, un, unsure of, of what's going to happen in the next day of their lives, you know. Mm. And particularly when it's a young boy who has already had to escape from a horrendous past who has had to leave all of his family behind, who has come to Ireland in the hope that he would be safe here. And, and he, he, he was left on the streets in a situation where he, he was, you know, vulnerable. He was at risk. He was attacked and, and, um, 
the state should not be doing that to people. Yeah, and I, I think most people are, are, are very thankful that there's organisations like Doris there to help people when uh, they're in uh, times of such great need uh, and you do such a, a huge amount of work with so many people coming into this country in Doris. John, thank you indeed for joining us once again this morning. John Dur- John Lannan is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of Durs. Michael Reed on LMFM. It really is great to be getting so many text messages and so on to the programme today. And thanks to everybody who's been in touch. Margaret uh, is asking if GDPR is protecting uninsured drivers. If it is, it's a farce and an insult to the law-abiding insured driver who pays higher premiums to cover these selfish people who drive uninsured vehicles. There is always a cohort of people in every country who expect everything, pay for nothing and always complain. Makes one wonder if being law-abiding is the right way to go, says Margaret. Thank you, as I say, for your message. Uh, on that subject, Ellen uh, has been WhatsApping us. Uh, she says, with paying tolls, parking fees, tyres, car service, road tax and insurance, diesel as well, that's before you even get to work Uh, maybe if they got rid of some of these charges, people would insure their cars, says Alan well if they insure their cars, the rest of us would pay less uh, because we're paying for the uninsured drivers as we heard earlier on, Alan thank you for that, Uh, Tom back in touch with us uh, about immigration saying, uh, you're right, provide protection, but sort out uh, the people that we have here first, thank you indeed, I suppose uh, the international obligations on us are that that we provide accommodation to everybody, Tom. Uh, somebody else saying, look at RTE on Monday night, homeless people on the street, and they were all Irish. Uh, the text message gets jumbled up there, but they ask, our caller asks, do those people not need protection as well? Well, thank you uh, indeed uh, for that. Uh, I suppose uh, the thing is, is that they should be offered emergency accommodation. A lot of people don't take emergency accommodation and, and choose to sleep on the streets rather than go into a hostel, uh, which is usually the situation uh, but we're talking about 500 immigrants who have not been offered emergency accommodation and therein lies the difference and indeed the case of uh, that 18-year-old Afghani, 17-year-old Afghani uh, asylum seeker uh, who was left to fend for himself on the streets, uh, which the High Court found to be unlawful. Now, if uh, you're a parent... You may be interested if you've young people at home uh, who play a lot of video games in a webinar that's taking place tomorrow line tomorrow night uh, on gaming uh, with Parentline and Webwise. Uh, we're going to talk uh, about gaming now with Finnegale MEP Colin Markey, uh, who obviously has a, an interest in this and is going to speak to that webinar tomorrow. And a very good morning to you, Colin, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. This is not just a, a case uh, of kids driving parents mad by being in front of uh, their screens for as long as they are. There's a question of addiction, is there? Yeah, well, there's a number of issues, I suppose. There's a, there's a question of, like, if you talk to Parentline, for instance, they, their calls are up 19% on gaming this year alone. And there's there's concerns about, let's say, addiction-feeding nature, the design of games. And, and then there's also issues around, let's say, the whole concept of loot boxes where maybe you have to pay to, to get a special shield or to get up a higher level in the game or that. So there's a number of things that are, if you like, a, the addictive feeding design is one issue and, and other things, let's say, financial elements to it that I suppose are concerned to parents. And then on top of that, you have the whole scenario where parents are worried about, let's say, who, who their children are interacting with, what sort of graphics or that are 
images that their children are seeing. So there's there's a number of things there. I suppose mm. the other side of this is that there's an industry there that's that's quite a, that's a, like spends 500 million in Ireland a year. Or like Irish consumers spend 500 million on a year, and we'd be quite a strong industry in Ireland. So it's it like it's vitally important that we get. The, the, if you like the standards right and we protect children and, and give confidence to parents I suppose that's mm. the key thing It's difficult though isn't it uh, with something like this uh, I mean when you talk about the people that they're interacting with uh, for the most part you're talking about private conversations aren't you? Well, you're talking about private conversations, you're talking about who they're linking up with on games, but apart from that, that's only one element of it. There's also mm. the nature of how some of these games are designed and how... Sure, but they, but, but, but but how do you interfere or intervene in a private conversation? Uh, I mean, obviously, the hope would be that you'd stop young people meeting up with strangers online, whether it's uh, gaming or on social media or whatever the case may be, but if that happens, it's very difficult to intervene, isn't it? Well, I think the point is we, we organised this webinar. It's actually tomorrow at 12 o'clock because I think it would suit parents when maybe children are at school or that. So we organised it for tomorrow at 12 o'clock. But Parentline and Webwise are both going to be there. And they're there to give advice, I suppose. It's not so much a, a, a policy thing as to give advice to parents, tips, tricks that they can use in terms of maybe limiting the time that children are spending online, uh, limiting the, the access to have to certain games that maybe could have them uh, engaging with strangers, encouraging them to only be, let's say, uh, involved in, let's say, that, that, like, let's say the lucky gaming in the living room or in the kitchen or with, with parental kind yeah, of... Yeah, but you're not going to get uh, there, really, are you? I mean, most young people are socialising over their gaming devices. Well, there's an element to that, but at the mm-hmm. same time, once it's, you're aware that it's people that the children know, that they're their own friends, if you like, and things like that. Mm. And there is the concern about who they get to know. And I suppose that's why, at the other end of this, we are talking about the, the need for perhaps a strategy uh, at mm. government level in relation to how this is managed. Uh, I think yeah, tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow yeah. is more about yeah. the tips and tools, the tricks that mm. people can use and how they can... I know, but uh, unless you're sitting beside them, uh, it's very difficult uh, to police who they're talking to or what they're talking about. Uh, maybe something that's easier to tackle is the type of games that they're playing. Uh, why are there so many violent games and what impact is that having on the minds of young people? I think that's that's a key point. You know, the, the various games that are being played, the, the, the graphics that are allowed, like the, the, there are, let's say, uh, PEGI ratings for different age groupings for, for games. But like as you know yourself, it's always hard to, to get children to, to play to the, the rating that's appropriate for their age. And I mm. suppose that's where parental control comes into the, the equation. But I think what we want to get tomorrow, we've, we've Aileen Hickey and uh, Jane McGar- McGarrigal from, from uh, both Parentline and Webboys, and they've plenty of experience of dealing with parents and trying to find, let's say, ways and simple ways in which people can manage that situation. I think Mm. that's that's where, like, I think we all find, like, look, I'm a parent myself with two young children, and I suppose this is is a new generation of, let's say, when when I was a kid, games were very simple. Uh, But now, so it's, it's something we're not familiar with as from when we were I don't know I mean gaming God gaming has uh, been uh, very popular I'd say for 25 if not 30 years Uh, but uh, I mean the idea of of gaming with someone on the other side of the world perhaps the level of graphics the addictive nature of the the, the buying different different Mm. uh, let's say loot boxes or shields or that online 
it it becomes so much more complicated and I suppose parents feel that they're under pressure. And it's very complicated and it's one thing uh, somebody playing FIFA or whatever and uh, interacting with their mates. Uh, it's another thing when you get into some of uh, these very violent games um, uh, and you'd have to ask yourself uh, does that influence the thinking of young people? Does it distort the thinking of young people? If you spend so much time uh, destroying other people in a, a game or people trying to destroy you in a game, uh, do ver- uh, reality uh, and fantasy uh, not blur at times for people? That is the question. Now, you, you would wonder sometimes, does fantasy and reality blur? I think from, from, for the vast majority of people it doesn't, but for some you'd be worried that it could happen. And I think it's, I suppose it's, it's to go that journey with parents too, because parents feel they don't know what way to turn or how to handle this, and maybe a little bit of guidance and, and help can, can help somewhat in that. Like, as I say, I'm a parent myself, and I don't have the answers, but I think, to be fair to both Webboys and Parentline, they've been dealing with this for a while now, and I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm organising this tomorrow so I can find out for myself as much as for everybody else, because I think it, it's, it's about having a conversation and trying to develop best practice, and perhaps a strategy at national level mm. would help. But I think the more we can signpost people and, and educate as, to, as things that can help, maybe even restrictions that can be placed on, on a device, that, that, and maybe time, time restrictions as well. There's various things that people can do that will make a difference, and I think mm. that's what we want to get to the bottom of. I think it's at two levels. There's one, what people can do in terms of parental management and how, how they interact with their children. And secondly, then, there is that policy piece at a more abstract level where what you said earlier about the, the, the graphics and the, what, what children are exposed to. We mm. have to decide what's appropriate and how you can manage yeah, it. And it's not just children, that, is it? That conversation hasn't been properly had. No, no, it's not just children. All really. ages, yeah. All ages, and 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 you see, you see, fellas or girls, whatever, uh, up all night playing games. Uh, and then, like you even see people logging on, watching people playing games, and you kind of say, like, how how dis- how disconnected can you be? And I suppose the, the the other reality of all this is, during COVID, when when the lockdown happened, people found themselves at home more, and some people got more into their games, if you like, and and much is into your games. When did that become addiction? If you know what I mean, and it's such a like, waste of time. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, frankly, I prefer to be out playing sport or yeah. out doing some outdoor activity myself. But yeah. um, but I think. No, but when it gets into that thing of hours and hours and hours, uh, I, I mean, surely you've had the entertainment after an hour. Well, see, the, with most other things, you, you'll you'll do it for an hour or two. You'll mm. drop it and go and do it. Like if you take sport, you'll do it for an hour. You'll go off and do something else. You'll interact with your mates. You'll catch up or whatever. Mm. But it seems with gaming, people get completely consumed, and mm. that's 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 a concern. I think yeah. forgetting to go to bed is probably the best example of that. But even like getting up in the morning and mm. starting to get on a game, and maybe not even changing to go outside. Like, that's yeah. that's the reality that happens, and then people become disconnected and become less social. And it's not that you're against it; like it all has a part mm. to play. But like anything else, it's in moderation, and sometimes there isn't the moderation and sometimes particularly with children there isn't that there's the need for parental control and that's not easy for a parent to do and I think that's that's part of the problem here mm. it's, I suppose what we want to do is, is start a conversation and as I say the ladies have some they, they can sign posts say, to, to some things that people can do and 
t- tricks and tools. Mm. There's also a, a Paul Fahey from the Irish Gamers Association. So we're going to get the perspective on the other side of it as well, if you like, from from the gaming industry and to see what they what they're trying to do. Okay, well, it's a webinar that you're hosting from the European Parliament uh, on Zoom. I take it people need to register if uh, they do want to attend. Yeah, if they can go onto our social media, they'll get the, the, the links are on there. It's a, it's it's a twelve o'clock Irish time, so we're we're broadcasting from the Parliament here. And yeah, if people log on it, it that uh, to our social media, there's links there to to register in advance. Okay, we'll leave it there, Colin. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning, Finnegal MEP Colin Markey. Text uh, from somebody who says, I've noticed, sadly, family time being eroded and parents not taking the time to talk to their kids or read or ask about their day because their phones are constantly attached to their heads. Maybe they're texting each other. Uh, That's uh, something you sometimes see, particularly between young people. Uh, But uh, I think the phones and uh, some of these gaming devices uh, certainly have changed the world we live in, whether that's uh, for the better or worse. uh, I'm sure we all have an opinion on as well. Noel NRD, thanks for your phone call to the programme. He's calling in about uh, the GSOC controversy. He says, you couldn't make this stuff up. It's like something that you'd see in a movie, a movie like The Godfather, that is. Uh, and uh, somebody has a lot of questions to answer, Noel says. Uh, Ruth, in touch with us about gaming, uh, she says she completely agrees that young people's time is consumed by games and it's hugely worrying for parents. It's frightening to see how addicted some kids get to their consoles. It, it can lead to huge changes in their personalities and she says it's sad to see young people shutting themselves off from the real world the way that they are. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you, everybody who's been in touch with us today. Great to be getting your call or your text as the case may be. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now as as usual around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. So we go to Trim Garda Station with Garda Olga Bacon who has uh, the report for us uh, this week. Good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us. We're going to begin with an assault that occurred in Oath. Yes, Michael. So Guardian Ashburn Guard Station are currently investigating an incident that happened on Monday the 17th of April at Riverwalk, Rathout, where a young female was approached by a male who attempts to, attempts to engage with her. The investigation is ongoing from Ashburn Guard Station and while we've identified most people in through this investigation, we are seeking anybody with any more information to contact Ashburn Guard Station on 018010600. Next to Dundalk, the Castletown Road, and a robbery at a petrol station. Yes, yeah, so on Sunday the 23rd at around 3.50pm, a man drove into the Maxall filling station on Castletown Road in Dundalk. The driver put fuel into the car and went into the shop. He did join the queue, but when he got to the till, he produced a knife and demanded money from a number of staff members. Maybe you're in the area, you might have been in getting fuel or picking something up in the shop. Maybe you have dash cam footage even. We're asking you to contact the investigation team at Dundalk at the station on 042-9388-400. Some criminal damage to report on next from Oldcastle. Yes, yeah, so on Friday the 14th of April, a number of young people went into the Swim Ireland pop-up pool in Oldcastle and caused damage. So that meant it was closed the following day for repairs and people who booked it weren't able to use it. 
This is being investigated by members at Kells Garda Station and they're hoping your listeners might have some information as to the identity of these young people. You can contact Kells Garda Station on 046-9280-820. OK, you're appealing uh, to people who may have been victims of theft but didn't come forward in the past to come forward now, particularly people working in building and agriculture. Yes, yeah, so we're currently investigating a number of reports of people calling to retail premises and providing fraudulent credit card details in order to purchase building and agricultural material. Once the transaction is authorised, they then leave the premises with the goods and it's only later that the card details are provided that are, they're found to be fraudulent. So a number of incidents have been detected since December 22 and they've occurred in a number of counties across the country, including Meath. So the incidents predominantly occurred at hardware stores, building providers and local co-ops. We have set up an, an investigation, an incident room in Thurlis Garda Station and a senior investigating officer has been appointed. So the Garda and Tipperary are appealing to any potential victims in any location to contact them at Thurlis Garda Station on 0504 or at any Garda station where we can take details and pass them on to our incident room. Okay, um, Friday the 29th of April, it is Go Purple Day. People are being asked to wear purple on the day to support victims of uh, domestic violence and uh, this is a part of an Angarda Siakana initiative. Yes, yeah, so this started um, by Garda Stacey Luby in 2020 at Garda station. We take domestic violence and sexual abuse very seriously and we are here to help. It can take Domestic violence can take a variety of forms. So it can be physical, sexual, emotional, psychological and financial. It can happen within a family between one family member against another. It can involve current partners who are living together or even partners who are, living, who are dating and not living together. Domestic abuse crosses all classes, genders, race, sexuality and religious beliefs. We also have coercive control. So coercive control, it's a persistent pattern of controlling, intimidating and threatening behaviour. And it can include, can include some or all forms of domestic abuse by a partner or an ex-partner. And of course, for the victim, it can have a serious impact, including the fear of violence. It can cause serious alarm and distress. People may give up their job. They may change their routine and lose contact with family and friends. And it can damage a person's physical and emotional well-being. Coercive control can be really difficult to detect from the outside of a relationship looking in. And it can also be very hard to spot when you're in the relationship itself. As behaviour worsens and the occurrence of abuse becomes the new normal, we see people with very low self-esteem as just being one of the many factors that can stop victims from seeing the reality of their situation. So we're asking people, even if you're not sure this is happening to you, come and talk to us, come into any guard station, call any guard station, we're there to help. We will try and help you figure out. We can send you in the right direction as well with regard to other support agencies that are out there. Um, community policing is out loud and mead and we're hosting a number of events on Friday to raise awareness. So the Dundalk Community Policing Unit are teaming up with Women's Aid in Dundalk. They're holding an information stand at the Marshes Shopping Centre between 12 and 5pm. Ourselves at Trim Community Policing Unit, we'll have an information stand at Supervalue Enfield between 12 and 4pm. And the Ashburn Community Policing Unit are hosting a coffee morning, sorry, a coffee afternoon 
outside Ashburn Garda Station on Friday the 28th of April from 12pm to 2pm. And people are welcome to any of our events. Okay, very good. That's this Friday and of course uh, everybody's asked to wear purple in support. Uh, that is uh, the Go Purple Day. Thank you indeed to Garda Olga Bacon of Trim Garda Station. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around uh, the same time on next Tuesday's programme. But that's where our time runs out for today. Our thanks as always uh, to Maggie McGuire who researched the programme today. Chris Murray was in the control tower. Hi Michael. God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.